church, we'll stand together. Come on, I want to see you praise on this morning. We've got a reason to.
Come on, somebody. He's ever faithful this morning.
you, the King is alive. Come on, I don't know what you walked in with this morning, but we're going to sing that chorus just together. I'm going to sing in the middle of a storm. Come on, sing that out. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the King is alive. I'm going to sing. the king is alive let's give him another celebratory hand this morning will you do me a favor turn to your neighbor and wave if you came with him you can shake their hand welcome them to church this morning as we continue again they couldn't hear me on the live stream isn't it awesome to know maybe God just knows you need to hear it again isn't it awesome to know that no matter what you're going through no matter what you're up against no matter what you're facing that song says that you know when you're in the middle of a storm the hardest thing to do is to sing a little louder when you're in the middle of a storm the hardest thing to do is to praise a little louder I mean when you're going through something it's difficult to find anything positive. But God says when you're in the middle of it, no matter what you're going through, he said in the middle of that storm, just cry out to me. You ever been in trouble and all you could do is just cry out, hoping that someone would hear you? That's what God says. He said, just cry out to me. Cry out to me and know that in the middle of your storm, I'm there. I want to thank you for being here this morning. How many people are messed up because we only did two songs instead of three? Is that just messing with anybody? Okay, well, we'll catch up at the end. You can be seated. I'll be honest, the, the, first, service, it, it, the first service, it messed with me too because I was just standing over there in my own little world waiting for song number three and Pastor Dick was looking at me like, <clears throat> come on, come on. And uh, then it hit me. It's like, oh, man, we're only doing two this week. And the reason we're doing that is because uh, we're going to have a time of communion and worship at the end. And uh, so you'll still get your three songs, I promise. You might actually get four, uh, so don't worry. Uh, next week is Mother's Day. Uh, it's a day that we honor our mothers and, and women. And uh, we have something special planned. Uh, we got uh, actually two gifts uh, for every uh, lady next week. So I uh, encourage you to, uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is, uh, but it will be worth you coming for, I can promise. Um, and so we're excited about that. And we always, uh, we love uh, special days around here. So we're excited uh, about next week. It's hard to believe that it's here, but it is. Uh, this week, we uh, are going to close our series that we've been talking about. And for the last, starting on Easter, we've been talking about baggage. 
And so what I want to do just here in the beginning is I want to sort of give you this series in a nutshell because it's important uh, to understand where that we have come from uh, in order to, to know where God is bringing us to. In week one on Easter, we simply just unpacked the word baggage. And we started looking at the word baggage, and, and one thing that we would decided was, was that no matter who you are or, or what, where you've been, we all have baggage. Um, we understand that life happens. So here you are going through life, and life starts to happen, and you start taking things on. And those things, as you begin to take them on, they start to weigh you down. And they keep you from enjoying the journey. Uh, we, we talked about how that, that some people, they, they like the journey. I'm a destination person. I hate the trip. Uh, now, some people who are weird, they like the journey. It's just like it's just about getting out on the road and just, you know, just having the wind blow. And, and I'm like, no, just get me to where I'm going as quick as I can get there. And the same thing is true in life. You know, uh, a lot of times we're, we're not enjoying the journey. Now, those people who enjoy the journey... They're probably going to live longer because they're not as high stressed and, and uh, because they're just enjoying life. And that's the way that, that God intends for us to live. But the problem is, is we take on so much baggage and, and we're carrying all this junk around and, that we can't enjoy the journey. And um, so it's not because we're not excited about the destination. It's just the stuff that we have to deal with to get there. And uh, it, it makes the, the trip so much less enjoyable than what God intends us to have. And the biblical term for the word baggage is stronghold. That's how it's used in the New Testament. And, and a stronghold, it means that, that you are believing something, you've brought something into your life, you're believing a lie. And it, it's like a prisoner being locked by deception. It has nothing to do with heaven or hell. It's just everything to do with our journey. And the stuff that, that we have bought into is based on a lie. And so we talked about how that for the, for the last few weeks, we were going to combat the lies of the enemy with the truth of the word of God. And so each week we've been trying to point out truths. Some of you came in here today and you're experiencing some strongholds right now. There's things that, that the enemy is telling you and the devil is telling you stuff that isn't true. You see, the devil is, is your accuser. And he's accusing you day and night. He, the Bible calls him the father of lies. And he wants to convince you of things that aren't, that to be true, that really aren't. That's where we talk about baggage. Weeks two and three, we dove in and looked at what most things and where most baggage comes from. Uh, something from your past. Uh, second week, we looked at re relational pain. We understand that relationships are important and, and that, that God designed us to be in relationships. But the problem is, is that when we're in those relationships, there's a good possibility we're going to get hurt, that we're going to experience pain. And the, and the reality, the sad reality is, is that many times it's the people who are closest to us that cause us the greatest pain. And so we're going through life and we're carrying this pain and, and it's so hard to deal with and it's so hard to get over. But we talked about a, a God who, who loved us enough and who specialized in bandaging up our wounds and healing the brokenhearted, the wounds from painful relationships. Week three, we looked at guilt. And there's so many people that carry this bag around. They, they just can't seem, they know that God's forgiven them, but they can't seem just to let it go. They can't seem to, to get past their past. And even though they've asked for forgiveness, there's just that one thing that they, keeps coming back to their mind. I can't believe I did that. 
And, and we keep thinking that, that God's up there keeping score and that when we mess up, that, that we, have to, we have to do something to fix it. We think that, that we have to earn God's love when the actual truth is, is that Paul said that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And the enemy wants you to hold on to your past. He wants you to hold on to your pain and to your regret. But the truth of the matter is, is that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Last week, we looked at the bag that simply won't let go. It's that thing that keeps sneaking up on us. That thing that, that we feel like will never, ever, ever go away. And we've dealt with it for so long that it's no longer just a problem. We've dealt with it for so long that it's now become part of who we are. It is what people identify us by. It's what we identify ourselves by. And we've just learned to, to cope with it or, or to deal with it. And we think, well, this is just my bag that I have to carry. This is just the pain that I have to go through. This is just what it's going to be like. When in all actuality, the truth is, is the Bible says that you can be free. The Bible says that you do not have to be identified by that thing, that bag that won't let go. Your identity can be found and should be found in no place else other than in Jesus. Today, we want to close this series. And to do that, I, I want to have you think about this question. Once you've experienced freedom, how do you stay there? Once you experience freedom, how can you stay there? What do you do when the enemy counterattacks? You say, you mean he's just not going to leave me alone? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus talks about this. And you, you need to be aware of this because a lot of times we think that, well, once we break free, that it's just all good. Once you experience freedom, I can promise you the devil, your enemy, your adversary, your accuser will not just leave you alone. In Luke chapter 11, verse 24 through 26, we read this. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none... It says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and it finds freedom. It finds that the former home is all swept and in order. And then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. And you're like, pastor, that's not good news. What he's saying is, is listen, once you get free... It's going to be harder to stay free. If you think getting free was tough, staying there is going to be harder. Because the Bible says that, that when, when that thing goes away, that it's going to come back. And it's going to sometimes, it says it can make you even worse than you were to start with. And most Christians aren't prepared for staying free. But there's a, there's a cycle that happens in, in almost every area of life. You're in bondage, and then you find freedom. And freedom is something that, that, that we all want. And I believe that freedom is something that if we fight for it, if we're willing to fight for it, we can have it. 
We think back to how our country was founded. They had to fight for their freedom, for our freedom. But they fought for it and they obtained it. If you fight for freedom, you can get it. And so then when freedom happens, the second part of the, of the cycle begins and it's prosperity. I mean, you can look at, look at our country. Once we had freedom, we begin to prosper. Once we get freedom in our life, we begin to prosper. We think, man, life has never been so good. I feel so free. I can walk through the airport with no bags. I can walk through life with no baggage. I'm free. And the problem is when, with prosperity is, is that most people don't know how to handle it. Most people, once they become free, either one of, one of two things will happen. Number one, they become complacent. And they think, man, I'm free from this thing. I don't have to do anything anymore. I'm just gonna live right here. Or they become arrogant. And they think, man, this thing was on me. It's not a problem anymore. I've, I've overcome it. I've conquered it. And so all of these things, so everything that they did to get their freedom, they stopped doing. They become complacent or we become arrogant. And when that happens, something happens to the prosperity. Have you ever been, let's just get real, real here. You ever, uh, you've, you've went on a diet and you think, okay, I'm going to get on a diet. And you lose a bunch of weight. And you're thinking, man. My clothes fit. I've learned, don't ever give those fat clothes away. Because what happens? You've went for months and months and you've not eaten any sugar or, or, or no, none of that stuff. And, and, and you lose weight and you're feeling good about yourself. All oh, one donut won't hurt. And you become complacent. You stop doing the things that got you to where you were. And then the next thing you know, you're back in bondage. The next thing you know, your fat clothes won't fit anymore. That's what happens in our life. You end back up in, in bondage. It can happen in finances. It, it can happen in so many areas of life. I mean, the early church even experienced it. They had freedom. They had found freedom. They were so excited. They were so fired up because before, in order for them to get to God, they had to sacrifice animals. Blood had to be spilled. And then Jesus came on the scene, and they didn't have to do that anymore. And so he had taken care of everything by the shedding of his blood. And they had this newfound freedom, but they didn't know how to handle it. And they didn't know how to handle their freedom, so they went straight back to bondage. I mean, we have an entire book of the Bible, the book of Galatians, where Paul is doing nothing but trying to, to fix a church that he planted. Because they had found freedom, but once they found freedom... They went right back into bondage because they didn't know how to handle it. They were, they were still trying to live by the law. They, were, they continued to preach circumcision. And Paul spends the entire book trying to fix that. Now, we've used this verse a couple of times in this series, but, but today this will put it in, in context. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. He said, now that you've become free, stay free. And that's what we're talking about today. How do we stay free? How do we maintain our freedom? How do we do it? How can we stay in this second stage of this cycle? 
The first thing we have to do is we have to have humility. Humility. Most people lose their freedom because of they've become arrogant. Most people lose their freedom because of pride. Proverbs says that pride comes before the fall. What would it be like instead if we could have the attitude that when God blesses us, when we experience freedom, that instead of becoming puffed up and prideful, that we come before him and say, God, even on my best day, I still fall short. When we say, God, if it weren't for you, I couldn't make it. When we would say, God, everything that I have comes from you and comes from your gracious hand because you're so merciful. He has blessed us with, with what we do not deserve. It's been said that, that a man on his face can never fall from that position. In other words, a, a man who is continually in a position of thanking God, who is being humble, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. You see, the choice is yours. You can either choose to humble yourself, or you could be humbled. Anybody ever been humbled? When I was in college, we would, uh, we, we, I played a lot and a lot and a lot of softball. I really think that I should have got my my Bachelor of Science should have been in softball. And we would play in local tournaments, and, and, and we were good. 18, 19-year-old guys, you know, and, and uh, we, we were good. And so then we got the ideas like, hey, man, we're going to we start going to some tournaments. Let's start traveling, you know, four or five, six hours away and getting in these tournaments, and, and, and we're just going to go in there, and, and, and you walk in, you're 18 and 19, and, and you're thinking, and then you look at these other guys, and, and some of them are like 60 or 70 years old, and you're thinking, we are going to wipe the floor with the, the, the field with these people. And so there, we, we, two games, we get our brains smashed in. These little 60 and 70-year-old men, and, and you think, and they're just, if you play over here, they hit it over here. If you play over here, they hit it over here. And it's just base hit after base hit. And it's such a humbling experience. And so I learned at an early age that, if, that, that you can be humbled very quickly. But the Bible says that, that if we will just humble ourselves, if we will let humble ourselves before God, that he will lift us up. David understood this principle. That's why David never fell out of God's favor. I mean, here he was. He had every reason in the beginning to, to have pride. I mean, people thought he was great. I mean, they were dancing in the streets. But he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. But he never fell out of God's favor. As a matter of fact, he said that, that he was a man after God's own heart. Why was that? I believe it's because David humbled himself. Psalm chapter 51, 1 and 2. David would pray things like this. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. And then verse 17, he would pray things like this. 
The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. You wanna maintain your freedom? You have to have humility. Everything that you have comes from God. David understood that. And even when he had the right to be prideful, he still prayed things like this. The second thing is you have to, and you need honesty. Honesty. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? When I talk about being honest, uh, what I'm saying is, is when you want to go back, when you are tempted, when that bag starts knocking on your door, when the enemy starts accusing you, you must tell someone. You have to tell someone. Pride keeps us from doing that. And the reason being is because we think that just because we've fallen, that that means that that bag has to come back into our life. It's not true. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24 that a righteous man falls seven times, but the righteous gets back up. What does that mean? That means you're going to mess up. You're gonna make mistakes. But if you're righteous, you're honest about them and you get back up and you keep going. That thing does not have to come back into your life. But if you are not honest, it will. And the honesty is twofold. First of all, you have to be honest with God. Let, let me just be upfront. You can't hide it from God. You might as well be honest because he knows. But the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, 9 and 10, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So John is saying, he's saying, listen, you have got to be honest. When you mess up, you need to confess that. You need to say, hey God, I know you already know about this, but I wanna be honest about it. I need forgiveness. I need to tell you about this. Sometimes that's the easy one because we know that he already knows anyway. The hard part is the second. It's not telling God, but it's telling God's people. James chapter five, verse 16 tells us this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Confess your sins to each other. Now, I'm not saying that you know, when you eat one too many cookies that you need to go on Facebook and say, hey, I ate too many cookies. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, when you mess up that I'm gonna give you the microphone so you can get up here and tell everybody how you messed up. That's why we don't have testimony service around here. I've had that happen one too many times. But what I'm saying is that you have to have somebody in your life, someone in your life that, that you can connect with someone that you're building a relationship with, someone that, that you say, I'm an open book. I'm not hiding anything because life change happens in relationships. And when you start building relationships with people, that pride begins to break down and you know that that person is going to love you regardless, just like God does. But we, because of pride, we, we convince ourselves that we can handle it alone. Well, we convince ourselves that, that, that we can do it. 
We convince ourselves that, well, if we just tell God, it'll be okay. The reality is, is that you have to have people in your life. You have to have someone that you are connected with, that you are being honest with. As we talked about last week, an, an accountability partner. Because if you do not, if you convince yourself that you can handle it alone, then, then you will need to have this sermon series about once every six months. Because that thing's going to come back on you. And it's going to come back worse than it was in the beginning. So we need humility. We need honesty. Thirdly, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Paul, when, when he was closing 2 Corinthians, he said, may the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, I would like to think that me coming in here and speaking for 25, 30 minutes every Sunday would be enough just to let you sail through life that I would have all the great wisdom and you would just leave here feeling so enlightened. It would make me feel so good about my $100,000 education. But the reality is, is, it's not true. We need the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said it's so important that I go away so that the Father can send another, that he can send the Holy Spirit who will be with you always, who will lead you and guide you, who will comfort you. You can be close to him. You can know him. You cannot maintain this freedom on your own effort. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, but, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. It's saying when you can have the Spirit living in you, you can have a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Listen, we don't need more instruction. If I were to go around this room, and ask you, from, from, from during your, the time you've lived, how many sermons you have heard? Most of you would have no idea because there's just too many to count. Now, if you're new, you might be able to do it. But I can tell you that for the most part, most of us, we have been sermonized way beyond our level of obedience. We don't need more instruction what we need is encounters. What we need are experiences. I mean, there are those of you that when I get up here to, to preach on Sundays, sometimes it's intimidating because I can look out among the congregation and there are those of you out there that could do this better than I can. You're smarter. You know more than I do. But knowledge is not what we need. What we need is an experience. What we need is an encounter. When I was, um, I graduated from Bible school and, um, and I very quickly figured out that being a preacher wasn't going to pay many of the bills. And so I came out of college and, and I, I had this, um, uh, had to find a job. Had to get a real job. I couldn't just work on Sundays and Wednesdays, right? Um, so here I am, and, and so I, 
apply for this job and this guy says, I, I like you. I, I think that, that I can, I think I can use you. I think I can mold you into I want you to, what I want you to be and what you need to be. So he started putting me through. He was paying me to stay home, read through manuals about that thick, listen to, to seminars and take classes and take tests. And I, I got all these certifications. And so when I put it on my resume, you know, I've got Microsoft certified system engineer. And I could write that. But if you put something in front of me, a real problem, I didn't have any experience. I had the knowledge, but I'd never really been faced with anything. I'd never been, been faced with a real life situation. And the same thing is true in our lives. We have the biblical knowledge, but we come to a point in our lives that, that we've, we've never had an experience. We've never had an experience with, with God. We've never had that. We have to experience the Holy Spirit. And some of us, just to be honest, we're afraid of that. We're afraid to go after God. We're afraid to, to have a relationship with him. We're afraid to open ourselves up and say, God, here I am. We're afraid to, to lift our hands or to, or to cry. Or, uh, and the reason is because in some of our cases, we've been exposed to things that in church that really weren't of God. And just to be simple and plain, they were sometimes just goofy. They were man-made. They were worked up. They were out of order. And so I, if you come from that kind of background, I understand that. Believe me, I've been there. And then there's others you just don't understand. You, you don't know that, that when you need something, when you switch it into to desperation, though, when you can say, God, I need you more than the air that I breathe. There was a guy in the Bible by the name of Jacob. And Jacob had a lot of bags. A lot of the same stuff that, that, that we've talked about the last four weeks, the same stuff that we're carrying around, he had them. I mean, his name actually meant deceiver. And if you read his story, he had all kinds of issues. He had issues with relationships with people, with Laban. His father-in-law lied to him, tricked him. His brother Esau. All of these things, and he had issues, and, and he tried everything in his power and in his own effort to fix them, and he failed. And the Bible says there come a time that, that he got desperate, and he wrestled with God. He, he wrestled with an angel, and the, the account of this is found in Genesis chapter 32, and it starts in verse 24. It says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. He said, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. 
For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. It says that he became desperate. That everything in his past, that he became desperate. And it said that he, that he got a new name. And what I'm hoping is, the word blessed there, he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. The word blessed actually means real joy. And there's some of you here today and, and watching today that you have no joy. You're faking it. Some of you don't even fake it very well. You can see it in your eyes. You, you don't have real joy. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so you feel weak, you feel beaten down, and you have to come to a point that you humble yourselves, that you're honest with your situation, and that you become desperate for a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, just like Jacob did, the first thing that will happen is you'll get a new strength. You'll get a new strength. There's theories on why that, that God pulled his hip out of socket, Jacob's hip out of socket. When you begin to, to, to read, this muscle is, is one of the strongest muscles in your body. And when you, when you walk, this muscle has a lot to do with it. And you're doing that in your own strength. But, but I believe that, that when he pulled that socket out of joint, that Jacob now walked with a limp. And that every step that he took for the rest of his life, he knew that it wasn't in his strength that he was walking. But it was only through God's strength. And some of you, you, you need your hip ripped out of joint. Because you're walking along and you think, it's me, I'm doing this. And God's saying, no, you can't do it in your own strength. You have to have me. Paul understood this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, he, he wrote this. Paul said, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever or persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust, not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. He said, I listened to the Spirit. I wanted you to know that it weren't, wasn't my words, but it was God. He said, you need a new strength. The second thing is you can get a new identity, a new name. As we talked about in the first few weeks, we said, Sometimes our problem no longer is a problem. It becomes our identity. And when you get desperate enough and you become humble, honest, and develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you'll get a new name. When you truly have an encounter with Him. If you look through Scripture, many times when people had encounters with God and experience with God, they got a new name. You look at Peter. You look at Paul. Their name was changed. You look at Jacob. His name went from, from being deceiver to actually being and meaning prince. Some of you have bought into this lie that isn't true. You're living with an identity that's not true. And God wants you to know that it doesn't have to be your identity. You don't have to be deceiver anymore, but you can be a prince. But this only happens 
when we come face to face with him. When we come face to face with him, he wants to give you a new identity. But you have to have that encounter. Saul became Paul when he had an encounter with Jesus, with God. And the last thing that an encounter will give you is a new joy. A new joy. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Listen, we have to have the joy of the Lord. And the only way that's going to happen is, is to start developing a relationship with him, something that's not superficial, something that goes deeper than just a, an hour on Sunday morning. You know, it's really easy to, to, to come in here for an hour and, and feel like that, that we've, you know, done something good for the week. And it's great, don't get me, if that's where you are, that's great. We love seeing you. But what I'm trying to, to, to challenge you to is that it's so much more. It's so much more. If all I had in my relationship and my extent of my relationship with God was, was just for the time that I was here on Sunday, I wouldn't have joy. I mean, I love coming. I love seeing new faces. I love the fellowship. I love the relationships. But man, there is so much more. God wants you to have a new strength. He wants you to have a new identity. And he wants to give you joy like you've never experienced before. You don't have to keep living like you've been living. What we're going to and how we're going to close this service is probably unlike anything I've ever done before. We're going to end with the time of communion and worship. And we're doing that because as we come to an end of this series, there's two things that, that are going to help keep us free. The first thing is remembering how we got the freedom to start with. You see, it was through the sacrifice of God sending his son to die on a cross for our sin. That's how that we gained our freedom. You know, on July 4th, we celebrate Independence Day. And when we celebrate that, we can't celebrate it without thinking about the sacrifices that were made for us to obtain that freedom. And so as we take communion today, hopefully over the last four weeks, you have found some sort of freedom. And what I want us to do today is, is know that, that that freedom is only possible because of the sacrifice of Christ. And then we're going to, while we do that, we're going to worship. 
Because worship is so important. Worship is, listen, there are days that, um, you know, pastors have bad days too. And there's days that I'll just get in my car, I'll turn on the radio, and if I'm by myself, which I, I like to be in moments like this because I can take one song that's really ministered to me and I can just put it on repeat. Now that would drive some people crazy. A couple of weeks ago, I, Pastor Nick, they, they, they song, sang the song Rattle. And man, that entire week, every time I got in the car, over and over and over and over and over again. Because I understand, and if you look throughout the Bible, there are times that you become so desperate for God. There were times that people become so desperate that in the middle of their storm, they sang louder, they praised louder, and God did something wonderful in their midst. You may be here today and you may have some barriers that, that are separating you and God. There are many people that you've walked in here and, and you're religious, but you still feel empty. There's a barrier between you and God. Maybe you're mad at God. Maybe you, you've had disappointment. No matter what it is, there's a barrier that's keeping you from being face-to-face -face with God. You have to let Jesus remove it. And he's saying, all you have to do is just surrender to me. It's a pretty good deal, actually, because you can give him your junk and he'll give you new life. That's a good deal. Whatever it is, whatever that barrier is, maybe, maybe you're a Christian and you're a Christ follower, but you feel so far from him. Whatever the case may be, don't, don't worry about the labels. Just know that there's something there. There's a barrier there. And we're going to pray. Before we do anything else, we're going to pray to remove it. Can you just bow your heads and, and, and pray this with me? Father, I surrender my life to you. God, I want the barriers that are separating me from you to be gone. Jesus, forgive me. Today, I, I give you my life completely. God, I pray that you take away the, the barrier, that thing that's between me and you. I give it, I give you everything today. Live inside of me. Make me new. Father, I thank you for loving me. God, I want you to be my Lord, my Savior, my God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to close this way. Pastor Nick's going to, he's going to sing a course. We're going to take communion. We're going to sing just a little bit longer. And then you can't have a victory without celebration, right? Can you imagine 
When, when those men that fought so hard for our freedom, when they finally experienced victory, I'm sure they celebrated. And so after we worshiped and done communion, the band is going to close us out with just a time of celebration. So sing this with us. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Yes, Jesus paid it all, all. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. On the night before Jesus would be arrested, it says he came together with his disciples and in a room and they had what we now know as the Last Supper and during that Jesus began to explain to them what was going to happen even though he had been trying to tell them over and over again they just didn't get it and um, it says that Jesus took the bread he'll take the bread This bread represents his body. The body that was going to be beaten, that was going to be sacrificed for our freedom. And Jesus said that as we do this, we do this in remembrance of the sacrifice that he made. And this body represents this, this bread represents his body. Father, I thank you for sending your son. God, to take punishment that he didn't deserve. God, I thank you for his body that was beaten, whipped, abused. God, may I never take that for granted. God, may I understand and realize that it's only because of that sacrifice that I can have freedom. Fathers, we take the bread. I, put, I pray and I thank you. Take the bread. Yes, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Yes, he washed me white as snow. Just as the bread, like us, we have the juice, which is a representation of his blood. The Bible says, without 
the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no freedom. And so as we partake of this juice, we do so to remember the blood that was shed for my sin. Take the juice. Oh, praise the one who of his sacrifice that we can have freedom. And I pray that over the last five weeks that you've found some freedom. And in that, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 150, it says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for surpassing greatness. Praise Him for freedom. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then he closes it by saying, praise the Lord. What was David saying here? David was saying that he had a God that deserved praise, that his freedom was reason to praise and to celebrate. So we're going to close out today's service and we're going to do just what Psalms 150 says. We're going to praise God and we're going to celebrate for freedom.
all names. The name it with every knee must bow, every tongue must confess. And we can go today in freedom knowing that he paid the price and that our freedom is because of him. We love you. Have a great, great, great week. Celebrate your freedom. Continue to walk in humility, in honesty, and start developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Draw close to him, and I promise you it'll make a difference in your life. Have a great Sunday. Don't forget Mother's Day next week. And uh, we've got a special gift for all you moms and ladies. Have a great week.